guys. This is episode number three of Don't Call Me Girl Boss. I am your host, Jessica Buck. I own Sunless Ray and have been a small business owner for six years and counting. In the beginning of each episode, I like to share a business tip from myself. Keep in mind, I am no expert. This is just from my experience and what I have found works for me. What is something that's been very impactful to my business in Austin, Texas I just moved here in October, so I'm still building, but is getting my clients to leave me Google reviews versus Yelp reviews. So my Google reviews always show up. Uh, I never get harassed by Google to pay for something. And you're actually putting the reviews in the search engine people are using. So yes, Yelp will show up like usually three links down when you search Google. And it'll still show up, but with Yelp, they will hide my reviews, they call me, they bug me, it's just, I'm just not a big fan of Yelp, and they literally hide my reviews. And we work way too hard to get our reviews to have them hidden for whatever reason Yelp finds for themselves. So Google, they don't take down my reviews, I can push people to leave me reviews, and there's no issues. And I've been getting a lot of business from people typing in mobile spray tan Austin, Texas. And I'm actually showing it first because now that I've been building it for a while, I have more reviews than my competition. So I just think it's important to be using that. Both of them are important, but for me, Google's been working great. So I recommend setting up your Google My Business listing and pushing your clients to leave you reviews starting today. This week's episode, I had the privilege of interviewing Danielle. She is in Austin, Texas, and she owns an online clothing boutique called Styled AF. She utilizes Facebook marketing to really build a community which converts to sales for her. She actually started out in an MLM, which is how she even got into the clothing space. We dive heavily into all things MLM, and I didn't even know we would go there in this episode. But with what's going on in the world, more and more of our friends and family are actually popping up and selling more MLM products. So I think you'll gain a lot from this podcast, and I just really hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, here is Danielle. So hi, Danielle. Thank you so much for coming on Don't Call Me Girl Boss. You are the owner of Hashtag Styled AF, which is an online boutique for women and carry sizes small to 3X and have a mobile app, have a Facebook group, and just a super cute style and just fun to follow on social media. I love all your witty memes that you make. They always make me laugh. (laughs) And, you know, I don't know that much about you. I do know you're originally from California like me, and now we just live down the street from each other in Austin. Yeah. And other than that, I really just don't know your story, and I'm just excited to get to know you and find really where you get your drive, you know, how you got started and just all the hurdles I'm sure you've been through. So where would you say your entrepreneurial spirit started? Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah. Um, I don't know where, if I, I don't know if I could pinpoint exactly where it started. I mean, I think maybe even just like growing up, like I was always playing like the owner of the store or the person in charge always. And I think that's definitely always just like been my passion is not necessarily to be in charge, but really to be the decision maker behind things. And then um, in my 20s, I was managing and consulting for small businesses. And so I think there I got like a really good idea of what it would take to be a small business owner. And then 
when it kind of fell into my lap to take that route with my life, I just jumped into it. So it's just been, I don't know if there's like one pivotal moment, but it's just been like a little, like looking back thinking, oh, I kind of always had this like little sparkle within. Yeah. Did your parents have any, did they own a business or what did they do? No. So my parents um, had very like traditional, like blue collar type jobs. Actually, my mom didn't really, I shouldn't say she was had a traditional job. She does um, costuming for theater. So she's been doing theater my entire life. And so it's not really that traditional, but it's just been, um, you know, not really her own business, but I mean, she did have to have her own type of drive, always hustling, looking for those new theater jobs. And she did like costume design. Yeah, she did costume design and wardrobe management. So when um, Broadway shows or ice skating shows or anything go on tour, they have somebody who's basically like in charge of the costumes on the tour. And so she's been doing that the past 15, 20 years, touring and working with costumes behind the scenes and all of that. So it's been really fun. Did you see her styling and that kind of like led to where you are now or anything like that? You know, it's so funny. Everyone always asks me that if like her being in wardrobe and costuming had any impact on my fashion sense and wanting to have a boutique. And I wouldn't say like, I'm sure it just inspired me, but it's so funny. Sometimes I'm like thinking when I'm talking about styling, like, okay, I kind of hear my mom in my head of you got to try it on. It looks better. Nothing looks good on the hanger. It's going to look better on you. Or I'll start to style things and be like, put it at your waist. And I hear my mom in my head saying those things. (laughs) And so I think she definitely had an impact, but, um, yeah, I did get to go visit her a lot on tour. I've been, it's been really cool to be able to do that and see how, like the action of it. Um, but yeah, I definitely hear her in my head when I'm styling. What would you say like your first memory is with styling or clothes? Like as a young kid, were you like obsessed with clothes, love to go shopping with your mom or anything like that? Oh, totally. I loved playing dress up loved playing dress up like crazy. I had so many costumes and so many dresses. And even as I got older, thankfully my mom had saved a lot of her dresses from the seventies. And so we had those to play in. And I've always just like kind of been into fashion. And even in my early twenties, I remember thinking like, I would love to own a boutique one day. And I thought it would be like a brick and mortar. And then I never really thought it would be a possibility. And then here I am, you know, it always manifested itself even 15 years later. Um, but yeah, always loved clothes and that sort of thing for sure. I remember even in middle school, I applied for like this volunteer job for the summer and they were like, what would you do if you got the job and you made the money? And I was like, I would go to the mall of America. (laughs) (laughs) Where were some of your favorite stores to shop at? When I was younger. Oh my goodness. Charlotte Roos. Yes. I'm going to like really date myself. (laughs) (laughs) forever 21 wasn't really that big when I was younger um I'm trying to think Charlotte Roos I'm trying to think of what was in the mall did you do like limited two at all I was never into limited two that was like so much for me I'm pretty simple when it comes to my own style and I think that was like really a lot going on for me yes but Charlotte Roos was a big one um we did a lot of like Mervyn's probably some of these stores are closed now Claire's (laughs) I used to go to Claire's all the time and they had those racks of like 10 things for $20 that was my jam I was like I'm making out big on these things I had so much craft jewelry (laughs) 
Yeah. And then how did you like make money? Did you have jobs when you were younger in high school? Yeah, I've always loved to work. And so as soon as I was able to get a job, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm going and getting a job. And so I worked at um, Build-A-Bear Workshop at Downtown Disney for a long time. And that was really awesome. It was really a great community of people, especially in high school. And it was a lot of people who didn't necessarily, I would say probably weren't necessarily the most popular kids in school. And so it gave us like this community of people that were just like, normal, regular, everyday kids. I went to a private high school. And so a lot of the kids there were just like super fancy for lack of a better word. And so I think working at Build-A-Bear just gave me this opportunity to find like other like theater kids and stuff like that. And I mean, there's like one friend from there that I'm still really close to. And we've been friends since we were like 16. And so it definitely like gave me the sense of community that I think I always, or that I still hold really dear to my heart. And that's really big in my business now. And that's definitely where a lot of that started. And then, and then I worked up there through college even, and then worked at Nordstrom for a while, which sometimes I forget about, even though I worked there for like five years. And so that definitely <laughs> had an impact on my, like my, like learning my fashion sense, even though I look back now, I'm like, what was I thinking? And then, um, and then after I graduated college, it was like, okay, let's get a real job. And then I worked for Dish Network, which was our you know, a TV service provider. And I started at the bottom with them in inside sales and grew grew over six and a half years to, I was regional sales manager and I managed all of the independent retailers that sold dish on the West coast. So it was a pretty big job. And I was like 27 and it definitely gave me like the responsibility of, you know, there's a lot of ownership when you're managing hundreds of small businesses and consulting with them and I also had a team of like 10 people that were all remote, all at like 27. It was crazy to me, but it was a really good, yeah, it was crazy. And then, um, I got, I kind of like fell into this opportunity of owning and starting my own business. And I was like, I could do this. And six months later, I was doing both at the same time, working for Dish Network, traveling every week on a plane. It was intense and still running my business. And six months later, I quit Dish Network to do this full time. And it's definitely changed over the past five years that I've been doing it, but it's been a wild ride. Yeah. So I just want to go back a little bit. So at Nordstrom, what did you do? So did that have anything to do with styling or anything like that? So I actually worked in the kids department in Nordstrom and it was fun. It's, I look back now and I'm thinking like, it was such a good learning experience in how to like work with customers and that sort of a thing. And really helping me find, I think the way it influences me now is I really try to find like really good deals for my customers because when I worked at Nordstrom, like things on the rack, like it's crazy. I mean, if people want to buy Burberry for the kids, I think that's great. But I think the everyday consumer is probably not out there looking for $70 jeans for their toddler. And so I think I understand now like the value of trying to maximize the dollar as a consumer. And that's really impacted me here thinking like it's fast fashion. Like people want a big bang for their buck, right? Like even thinking about back to my Claire's experience, thinking like I was making out like a bandit getting 20 things for $10 or whatever the deal was. And I think working at Nordstrom in the kids department, especially was really eye-opening for me to think like people would come in there looking for great gift ideas and they would see these things like, this is a lot for a kid and people really want like a good deal for the dollar. It's so valuable. 
And so that gave me a really good experience, but I wouldn't say it impacted too much of my styling. It's definitely, it definitely like, I mean, I, yeah, it probably did impact my styling as well. Just kind of being around that culture. And I think also just seeing like my own value of the dollar, like back then there was a lot of pressure when you work at Nordstrom to have all the designer things. Like, you know, I had like $400 jeans at like 23 years old. Nobody needs that. And so now same thing, I'm just like, okay, we can, we don't necessarily need to have all these like high-end labels to feel good about ourselves. And so that kind of ha- has impacted me as well. Yeah. What made you quit Nordstrom? So after I graduated college, I, that's where I worked. So I worked at Build-A-Bear and then switched over to Nordstrom. And then when I graduated college, it was like, okay, let's get a new job. And so then I started at Dish, which was, it was like I said, entry level at that time. And then just slowly worked my way up because I knew it was going to be a lot, have a lot more opportunity for growth after college. Yeah. So you went to college. Where did you go and what were you studying? So I went to Sacramento State in California and um, I had dreams of being working in media somehow. And so um, I went to school for media communications and there was a lot that I liked about that area of the world, but getting a job in that area of the world is really challenging. And also I was living in Sacramento at the time and there was nothing in that world in Sacramento. So um, I was like, well, I'll just take, you know, a job at any corporation that I can get. And that was with Dish. So you finished college, you got your degree and everything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have my bachelor's. And so you were at college, got to your job through Nordstrom, then you went to Dish, did that. So are you still in California while you're working at Dish? Yeah, so I started with them in Sacramento. They had a small office there. And then I was there about three years. And then it was like, okay, I'm ready to move back home to Orange County where I grew up. And so they had a position open up in the field and let me take it, which was awesome. So I moved back down to Orange County, which I should have said this earlier, that's where I grew up. And um, from there, just started to really climb the ranks. So I started with like a very like bottom level field position. And then again, slowly like worked up to an account manager role and then into regional sales manager. I mean, like I said, I was like dedicated to my growth and just wanting to like do the best I could. And I was like, I'm going to be this like top player in this industry. That was my, like my dream was just like, I'm going to be director of sales. I'll be VP of sales. That was what I was going to do. And then, you know, you just pivot when life throws you these pivots. Yeah. And you said you fell into your business. So what does that mean? Yeah. So I saw this opportunity to partner up and get involved in a direct sales company. That was a boutique business. And it was brand new and I didn't really see it from the perspective of it being like an MLM or direct sales. I just thought this could be really easy, like for me and made sense. So I, one of my friends was doing it or had told me about it and I was like, I can do this. So I jumped on board. You basically spent $5,000 and you get a bunch of clothes and just sell them. And then through that, you definitely build a team. And that's where a lot of the direct sales MLM stuff kind of came into play. But I just thought as a way, like, hey, I could use this to pay off my student loans. I could do this on the side. And so I was like, I'll just take this, you know, route. If worse comes to worse, I'll sell everything and I'll get my money back 
and it's not going to be a loss. So I did that, like I said, for six months um, while at the same time doing my dish network job. And I think they started to realize too, they were like, you're not so passionate about this anymore. And so when I called my boss to tell him I was quitting to do this full time, he wasn't really surprised. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, so I was with that direct sales company for four years. And then last year, it just got to a point where I wasn't loving the all aspects of it. Um, I wasn't loving having a team. I wasn't loving the lack of control. You know, when you partner with one brand, you have to abide by a lot of their rules. And it served me well for four years. And so I was like, okay, I feel some tension with it. It's time to pivot. And my mom was actually visiting me in Austin because by then I had relocated here. And she was like, Danielle, it's time. Like, let's let it go. And you can start something else. Like, you know, you can do it. And so I, within a month, pivoted and did my whole brand on my own and launched Styled AF, which stands for everyone thinks styled as fuck, which it is. Hopefully I can. I definitely thought that. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a play on words. So my initials are Danielle Amelia Fewings D-A-F and so styled A-F. So it's just kind of a fun play on words. But um, I've always kind of like referred to myself as like DAF. I don't know why. Or my friends have always referred to me as that. So I just took that on. But yeah, so within a month, I kind of pivoted and launched styled AF and like left that direct sales company, which was a challenge on its own. Just like when you try and break up with someone, I I was with them for four years. So it was definitely had some obstacles as I was leaving, but yeah, I love having my own brand and having my own boutique and being able to have all the control. It's scary and challenging. And I'm sure you'll ask me about some of the ups and downs, but yeah, that's kind of been the path to where I am now. Yeah. So MLM, I feel like that's a huge thing right now, especially with COVID. I see people selling MLM stuff all the time on my social media. Like, uh-huh. what does that look like? Like, how do you get your first customer? Do you reach out to friends right away? Do you just rely on social media? Like, I know this was a couple of years ago, so it might be different. But like, yeah. what did your day look like in the beginning with that? So every MLM is a little bit different. And I really, I had no experience with direct sales before this. Zero. So I think there's a huge stigma with direct sales and with MLM, mostly because people just are, don't really know how to go about it in a way that's authentic and genuine. So now you get these messages from people you went to high school with that are like, Hey girl, want to smell my oils Mm -hmm. or, you know, and it's like very disingenuine. And so I think that's where a lot of the stigma comes from. And then I think a lot of the stigma too comes from people that sign up for these things and don't ever make money. And they're just spending $99 a month to be a member of this community. Um, But the thing that was different about the one that I was with is you really could make money selling their product. You never had to build a a team or anything like that. So I really just like, you know, I also didn't know anything about social media. I was like, I just have a Facebook account because you have one. I have an Instagram account because you have one. It wasn't like a serious thing. So I just like, started posting on Instagram and I had, you know, about it. And I had a couple people that messaged me saying they wanted to host online parties, which was good. I never really felt like I had to do that sort of cold call out to people to ask them to host parties or do anything like that for me. It just, people were like, yeah, I'll do it. It was so new too. It wasn't like 
Herbalife, which had been all around for a long time. And so I think people thought it was less gimmicky. And also because you can come to a party and leave with a bag of clothes. It's very enticing to people. So um, I had people reach out and it just exploded. And um, it, you really didn't even have to try for the first couple of years to sell. And it was just like, if you posted that you were selling this brand, it was like people swarmed to you, which was really cool and very lucky. Um, and then as that sort of went on, um, you had those people that were like, Hey, I wanted to do this too. I feel like they'll see how much you're selling and they'll want to sign up under you to build a team. And it was a pretty hefty investment. Like I said, it was $5,000. So, you know, people are really putting in some of their life savings to sign up. And so you just slowly build a team. And next thing, you know, you're three years in, you have a team of 600, you know, you're selling a lot. It's just like a whirlwind. Um, but yeah, I never really felt like I had to do a lot of that cold calling. And I'm still obviously really close friends with a lot of people that did it as well. And we kind of joke about it all the time that we're like, why are all these other companies encouraging this lack of authentic authenticity when it comes to trying to get people to buy their product? Um, I think regardless of your what business you're in, if you're in an MLM, direct sales, you have your own business, you want to be able to show value. And that's what's going to bring people in. It's less about like being a used car salesman. You just want to show the value of what you have to offer. And that value can come in the form of your product and your community. So, um, yeah, it just looks. How did you, how did you sell it then? If you, you know, cause I know like the go-to is like DM, like I know, okay, my sister, she just started with, um, Arbon, I always say it wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but so her team goal is to reach out to three people a day and it's to send those messages. So what was like your, how your marketing? Yeah. So I was posting strategy. on Instagram and then I also, and I still have the same group. I had a Facebook group where I would add like customers would join. And so they could just search on Facebook and they would find my group and they would join or like if somebody wanted to host an online party, it would be like, okay, add your friends to this group. You're going to get the credits from anyone that shops that day. So you'll get free items. And so it wasn't really like DMing people. It was really just like word of mouth. And then like within that Facebook group, you had such like a strong community that it wasn't like you had to put out there for these awkward messages. People just wanted to add their friends because, you know, the we're talking about the bachelor this weekend and everyone's commenting and everyone's so involved and they're like, Oh, come to this group. Yeah. She sells clothes, but also we're talking about the bachelor. We're talking about whatever. And yeah. that's really how my business grew. And then obviously using Instagram and that sort of a thing, but Instagram still, I mean, I have a lot of followers and I use it and it's really never been part of my like customer acquisition strategy. So I think just having that community where people like enjoy being there in this Facebook group that they want to add their friends. That's really what I did. Yeah. So MLM. So did you focus more on actually selling the product or getting people to sell underneath you? I never, ever, ever focused on trying to get people to sell under me. That being said, I think as you show your success, you show your happiness, you show your enthusiasm, people are going to automatically want to join. And so that's really what it was. I never like tried to recruit people like if people asked about it, obviously I was like, yeah, here's the deal. But I never really was like out there hustling, trying to add people to my team. 
Yeah, I think that's a great way to go about it because then you don't sound pushy. It just it's just natural. Like the whole goal is to make everything organic as natural as possible. Mm-hmm. Like you want it. I'm not telling you you want it. Exactly. Yeah, and that's why it's so interesting when I get these messages from people that are like, "Hey, you want to try this hair stuff?" And I'm like, "No, you need to start a Facebook group and show the value of your product and show the value of you." And that's what's going to get people to join. This inauthentic Facebook messaging drives me crazy because there's already such a stigma. And then it's like they're perpetuating the stigma and like digging themselves in a hole. I'm like, this isn't how you go about it. Especially now with Facebook Live and Instagram Live, like there's so many opportunities just to use those avenues to share who you are and share who you, your product. And even if no one's watching while you're live, you might have people watch later. And that's what's really going to bring people in. It's, you know, it's, not this, I don't want to go join a face, Facebook group full of used car salesmen, you know? No, so that sounds terrible. Yeah, exactly. And so I think, you know, people are not using these tools that we have available. They're taking kind of like, oh, the easy route is to send three messages a day versus I can go live and talk about my product and talk about what I love about it. Talk about how, what it's done for me. That's scarier. So I guess that's probably why they don't do it. Yeah, definitely. It's putting yourself out there and it's a whole, you know, you jump into it so fast. It's like you sign up and the next day you're a business owner. Yeah, exactly. And then what were like some of the hurdles as owning an MLM? Like what were the things that you didn't like? What was the things that made you want to switch out? Those yeah, type of things. Yeah, so there, th- th- there was a lot. So I got started in this MLM in the very beginning. I was like the 1300th consultant and they got up to 100,000. And so I was there in the very beginning. And so it was me and my, a couple of my friends that were in it together. We always talk about like the days of 2016 and 2017, because things just skyrocketed. We were making ridiculous amounts of money. That was actually like looking back now, it's a hurdle to me now that I back then didn't have the know-how to be a little bit more serious about that money. I thought it was like, this will be forever. Great. Thank you. And back, looking back, I wish I had taken the time to be a little bit more responsible with that money. So it became, it became a hurdle to me now back then, but that was, um, one of the amazing things of it. And then, you know, as you grow a team, these women come to you looking to be part of this community. And I think that's what draws a lot of these MLMs in or draws a lot of people into these MLMs is that they're really looking for a sense of belonging, right? So you sign up, you pay your $99 or your 5,000 and you're all of a sudden part of a, a club. And a lot of women are looking for that, especially stay-at-home moms. That was like a really big draw, or it still is for MLMs. And so these women are coming like, I need a sense of identity. I'm just around kids all day. And so they come to you, you know, they're looking for community and they don't know how to be a business owner. And I think that's a really big obstacle as someone who's a leader of a team in these MLMs, because you have these women who have no clue how to be a business owner. You had no clue how to be a business owner. None of us went to business school. And here you are trying to then navigate multiple personalities, all these different women, because it's all women, right? And everyone's emotional. And then also trying to mitigate, like if the company that you're selling makes a change and then you got to like mitigate the reaction from 600 women, it's, it was an emotional nightmare at times. Um, you know, these women, you have 600 women who have your personal phone number, you have them in a Facebook group who just attack you for trying to represent the company in a positive light. You know, you always want to be the most positive person ever. I think navigating some of those like 
personalities was a challenge. Like I said, some of them are still my best friends, but you're not trained for that. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. You're not trained for that. It's, it's an emotional roller coaster with that many personalities. And then again, trying to like mitigate all the challenges. And this is the thing. A lot of these people joined right after I did when things were just skyrocketing and it was amazing. That's not going to last forever. There's definitely a tipping point. And as things started to change and sort of level out or plateau, people had negative reactions because they signed up with the dream and not knowing how to run a business, they couldn't maintain their own dream. And yeah, the company definitely had its own obstacles, but every company is going to. And I think you have these women who are like, I'm more afraid of losing their sense of belonging and sense of community because they see these changes and they see that they can't keep up with this community. And so I think that's where a lot of like some of the challenges were for them. And then again, you're just the leader and you're like, ah, I don't know how to do this. (laughs) It's very overwhelming. And when I left, that was probably one of the big reasons why I left. I love leadership and I love being a you know, helping people out and that sort of a thing. I'm always like the first to volunteer to help people. And, but that was one of the big reasons was like, I cannot emotionally take this anymore. Having these women just come at me and I I get it. They don't have anywhere else to turn. You know, they've invested money and stuff like that. But that was a big reason for leaving was just like, I can't do this anymore. That's too many people. There's no boundaries. They don't care. There's no respect. Like these women would come at me and just like be so angry. And I'm like, I didn't do anything to you. Um, And there were people had a really hard time separating their inability to run a business from, from them seeing themselves as a victim to what the company was doing. So, you know, the company would make a change. The person couldn't see themselves being able to keep up or they just reacted with fear that it was going to, somehow hurt them some way rather than really knowing how to navigate changes. And I think that's, you know, something that's a skill. A lot of people have, they can't just pivot. They can't just roll with the punches. And so they react with fear. So dealing with a lot of that was emotionally draining. And I was willing to put up with it for a long time when we were making crazy amounts of money, but as that slowly deteriorated and changed, I I became less tolerant of it. Yeah. How did you deal with like company changes and stuff like that? Like, how did you find that, you know, you were able to cope maybe better than these women? Like what is it that separated you from that? You know, I think some of these, I I never, I loved the community, the aspect of it. That was definitely a huge point, but I never went into it with that. And also I didn't have a whole family riding on this. You know, I didn't have life savings at that point riding on these things. I didn't have a house mortgage. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't, you know, it was just me and my dogs, you know, renting like an apartment or whatever. So I don't think it maybe, maybe I shouldn't have enough writing on it. I also just, that's my mindset in general is roll with the punches. Um, that's how I was kind of raised is just to roll with the punches and life's going to be hard and things are going to be a challenge. And you just, you can either sit here and be a victim or you can empower yourself. And I have no time to be a victim. I, I have zero tolerance for it. I, and so I think that's just been my mindset and I don't, there's a lot of mindset coaching out there. I think it's deeper than hiring a coach to do a one-on-one class with you to get into that mindset. I think it's a lot of psychological work and therapy you need to do to get into that mindset of switching from always being, seeing yourself as a victim, as things happening to me 
and instead getting to a point of things happening for me. So I think that's just my mindset. Yeah. I, I can't even explain it. That's just who I am as a person. I think, I don't know if I've always been that way, but definitely in the past 10, 15 years, it's been like, okay, we've all been through hard things. I can sit here and act as if they were happening to me and be sad about it and go sit in the corner and cry. Or I can say like, okay, how is this challenging me? How is this empowering me? How is this making me change? How is this making me adapt? How is this making me grow? And that's just the mindset I've always taken with everything. Yeah. And do you feel like some of these women got into it just seeing the dream and not really realizing that they aren't business owners and this isn't really the path for them? Yeah. And then obviously I think people are really, people have a hard time accepting. I don't want to say the word failure, but people have a hard time accepting failure or, or accepting that things are just not for them. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And people are like, I signed up. I it's, I'm into it. I want to do it. And it's like the second you have to say, this isn't for me, you suddenly put yourself in this negative light and you look at yourself as a failure and it just drives this more emotional turmoil. So I think people didn't want to just accept the fact that like, Hey, I'm here for the community. I'm going to do the bare minimum or, Hey, I'm, I'm over this. I'm just, it's just not for me. People have a hard time accepting that because they just see themselves as failures in that light rather than just on a different path. Yeah. And it's like my friend selling it. I want to sell it. I just, I feel like this is such a relevant conversation. Cause like mm-hmm. I said, I just see it popping up so much more. Like I go through my Instagram feed and I go and see five people right away just selling MLMs or just joining something. It's it's crazy. And it's awesome. Like, you know, everyone wants a supplemented income or, you know, stay-at-home moms. It's a huge attraction. Um, do you think in the beginning, um, like joining an MLM in the beginning is crucial? Do you think you can still make money when it gets super far down? To be honest, I – So I have no idea about other MLMs and their programs. I think, I think if you hustle to show value, you can sell anything, right? You Mm -hmm. can sell air. Um, We're all buying bottled water and water for free. So, you know what I mean? I think if you figure out how to show value for something, you can sell it and create that excitement, create that urgency And I'm a big, big, big proponent of community. I think community will sell, will help you sell a product more than the product itself. So I think that's a big part of it. So who knows? I think, I like I said, I have no idea about any of these other MLMs. I will never sign up for another one. Um, And so I think if, but if you position yourself in a way to show value, sure, you could 100% be successful. I would just like urge people to like really look into the requirements and really look within themselves of like the dedication that they can put forward to actually be a business owner. Because even if you're selling something where it's like $99 to sign up, there's still going to be like taxes you have to deal with and sales tax. And, you know, if you get large enough and you're making enough money, you need to have a business structure, which is like, are you going to be an LLC or a corporation? These are things a lot of people don't think about before they get involved in this stuff. Some people accidentally do really, really well. And then, don't know how to figure all that out. Yeah. Did you have an LLC when you had your MLM or what did you do? Yeah. So after I think about two years, I created um, a corporation. Um, I worked with an accountant who was like, yep, this is what you should do. Um, But yeah, I think if people are going to sign up for an MLM, I think they just need to like be honest with themselves about the work that they're going to put in the dedication. It's like starting any business, regardless if it's an MLM or, you know, tanning or a boutique or whatever. I think people really need to be honest with themselves about what they're willing to commit. Yeah. So you were over it 
it was a lot of dealing with different personalities. So how did you get out? What does that look like? It's Is actually... it shutting down a business? Like, hey, my corporation's done. No, so I still have the same corporation. It's really, it's like breaking up with someone. So like I said, I got in really early. So I was very close with the owner. I was close with her whole family. I was close with so many people. And you really have to get out in secret. Meaning, you know, I had a team that you were able to transfer to somebody else. But if, if there were all these rumors that if the company found out you were trying to leave, they would block you from trying to sell your team, but essentially screwing you out of more money, screwing the person you were trying to transfer your team to would screw them out of money. So you really had to have these conversations in secret of like, Hey, I'm thinking about leaving. And you have to trust these people who you're talking about transferring your team to that. They're not going to start the rumor mill because you don't want it to get back to home office. So there were all these like secret conversations that had to take place. Meanwhile, at the same time, trying to secretly research, how do I source all my own product now? And how do I design a logo? How do I design a website? Like all these things I had no idea how to do. So I was doing all of that like a year ago. So you sold and... your team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. What does that mean? Like, is it like selling a business? So someone gave you money yeah, for your so, team? Yeah, essentially, you basically come up with an um, evaluation for it. And you can put it out there to other members within that MLM. And if they want to have responsibility for that team, they can pay you for it. Oh, wow. Pretty crazy. Yeah. And so why do they make it so secretive, the MLM? Like, I feel like this is like what gets me a bad taste in my mouth with MLMs because you everything's so secret. Yeah, they make it so secretive. It's essentially so the executive office, like the owner of the main company doesn't find out because, because you do have like these bonds with them. Like I traveled with them on their private jet to go do speaking tours all across the country And so you have these like strong relationships with them. And there's, this is the thing that MLM, they own it essentially. And it's their baby. I get it. Like anytime someone would leave, it would be heartbreaking to them and feeling like, you know, feeling they're hurting their child. So I totally get why they would be so protective and have such a hard time accepting that people want to move on from that opportunity and start something new on their own. I totally get that. But it was just, you know, they had a hard time also just being okay with people leaving. And so you wanted to be secret about it. So they wouldn't find out preemptively before you had a chance to get all your ducks in a row to make sure that you didn't lose out on any money as you were leaving and that you could have a seamless transition out. Um, So that's why it had to be secret. And like even telling them that you were leaving was, I mean, I had, it was like terrifying. I didn't like, I sent them a text saying, you texted Stan. I texted because I was like, I can't, there's no way I can get on the phone. I know she'll freak out. So I just sent a text saying like, Hey, the time has come to end this part of my life. I'm going to be starting my own thing. And it's like, you know, you don't get the best reaction from them. Yeah. How did she react? Did you tell her you were going to be starting a clothing boutique? Because now you're, you're a competition, obviously a different scale, but still the same industry. Yeah. And she just, it was, it was a negative reaction. I got blocked on Facebook and Instagram, like immediately. Again, wow. they just have a hard time, like accepting the fact that people are going to want to do something else. They see their MLM opportunity is so amazing for people. And it was, and I'm sure still is for some people, but at some point you experience like some, you're like, okay, I'm in a cage. I need to get out now. 
So I understand like where they're coming from in terms of having a hard time accepting that people are leaving. But um, yeah, it was, it was some interesting conversations. And um, then you have to say, okay, I'm transferring my team. And then you have this like weird limbo where now you're out in the open with that you're leaving, but you still haven't left yet just to get all the final paperwork done. And so there's a lot of like questions coming from other uh, boutique, other MLM members. It's a weird time, a really weird time. And then you have people like, okay, I understand that you're leaving, but I don't like it. You know, it's, it's a weird conversation, a weird time. Yeah. So are you guys cool now, the girl who owns the company or no, it's still, no, I haven't. Mm-mm. Nope. Still blocked and everything? Still blocked and everything. And I still have some of my best friends that are still doing it. And we're fine. It's just sad because so, it, like it's such a happy time for yeah. you. You're taking such a huge step. Like you want to be supported. And then just to be kind of blocked and like thrown in the dark is just, it's just so terrible. That's kind of, I think the thing that is, was so hard is like being a part of that MLM and reaching to accept others and love others and we're supportive of people we're all about community over competition and all of those things and then as soon as I'm not buying product from you that's all out the window and you don't believe those things yeah I see that all the time it's just I don't know if money drives people and then they use these tactics just to get other people in because they know it'll make them money you know, I don't know, or if they get to a place where it's just so much hate for you doing your own thing that they're able to turn it off. I'm not sure what that is, where that comes from, but I see it all the time in business, especially. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting, you know, like me and two other, me and somebody else would be selling that, that MLM's clothing line. And it would be like that girl and I are basically in competition, but not really. Cause we were like, okay, we support each other. We support each other. And, but we're both buying product from the same place. But the second you're not buying product from them, you're cut off. <laughs> Such a shame. It just, it's just, I don't know, it's just the world we live in. I, I've been through situations like that so many times and, you know, it'll happen again to me, I'm sure. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, then, okay. I was with that MLM for four years and these are the things that they said, like, we, you know, we adore you community over competition. We support you. And then it's like, were those things you were telling me for four years a lie? Well, it's a perfect example. So I follow other spray tanners on social media and they post like, you know, women support women, those type of things all the time. But then I'm blocked on my Sunless Ray account. I can't see tons of spray tanners. And I'm like, where I can't spray tan the whole world. Like, where does this come from? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like we're in different states. (laughs) That's so funny. People, people are so protective of their of their knowledge and their resources, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but I guess people are just, it, it all comes from fear, to be honest, right? Like people are like, I'm in, afraid that I'm going to lose X, Y, Z if I share any knowledge with you. And it's like, that's definitely the wrong way to look at things. I, I'm a big, big, big proponent of like, we, there's enough room for everybody in whatever arena you're in. Yeah, And so why isn't it better if we're kind of bouncing ideas off each other, pulling resources? I mean, even in different industries, right? Like I'm sure you and I could have a whole conversation about like some business tactics on Instagram that have worked for you, have worked for me, right? And it's just like, why not have those conversations? Isn't, isn't it awesome if the entire economy is growing? And again, like 
I cannot put clothes on the back of every woman in the United States. That's <laughs> physically impossible. And so let's just be nice to each other, be kind. And yeah, I don't need to tell you like my deepest, darkest secrets, but maybe we can share some ideas of like, Hey, this vendor works for me. That vendor doesn't work for me. You know, what is this? How does a shoe brand fit for you? You know, stuff like that. It's like mine as well. Like you said it perfectly. You can't tan everybody in the world. I love that perspective. It's like, we can't do whatever industry you're in. You can't fulfill the need of every single person in that industry. And it's like, why not just share? Because it's going to benefit the community as a whole, even if that's the economy as a whole. Yeah. And it's like my natural tendency sometimes is to go that way, like get mad. A, a spray tanner moves to my area. Oh, I'm mad. You know, she's shouldn't be moving here. She's from California. She's doing what I'm doing. But it's like, you know, my boyfriend tells me all the time and I'm working on it is like, why does that affect you? Like, why do you stay in that lane? Like, it has nothing to do with you. You should be happy for them. And it's just, I think our natural instincts are to get mad and close off and to take it personally. And I'm not sure why. I think, again, I think it all comes from fear because we see the potential to yeah. lose out on something, right? Like if you have another spray tanner that comes to Austin, especially from California, like that's like your whole marketing. And it's like, wait, am I going to lose money because this other person's coming here? But I mean, you can't no. look at it that way. I know it's like so yeah. small minded and it makes like you're not that important. You know what I mean? Yeah. When really you could collaborate with that person and be like, hey, like let's maybe we could maybe you have a spray tan in North Austin and she has one in South Austin, but she's got one back to back. Maybe you could trade off. Yeah, exactly. You know, like and that. that's the mindset I'm getting. But when I first initially found out, I was like, oh, my gosh. But now I'm like, you know, changed my perspective. But I just think the initial reaction, we just automatically get like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing getting into business and it gets personal so fast. Um, but yeah. Cause we're so protective. Yeah. It's like my baby. It's, it's me, but really it's not. It's mm -hmm. your business. You know, everyone's just trying to make money and be successful. Mm -hmm. So you get out of the MLM, you start your new thing. What does that look like? So what were the first steps? What were, the, what, you know, did you just post on social media? Yeah. So the first steps were, so I had also, like I said, built this Facebook group community, um, for all my customers. And so I wasn't going to give that up. So I had that and I had a Facebook business page and I still had my Instagram and those were all like rocking and rolling just fine. So I took a couple weeks to transition, meaning we cleared out everything from the MLM and restocked everything with brand new inventory. And so that started out with me, let me design a logo. Let me, let me, let me pick the name first. Let me design a logo. Let me buy a domain. Let me design a website. Let me figure out all these processes of how to fulfill orders now. Let me um, find vendors and source vendors. And let me get set up with live selling because that's a big part of my business. And that's going to be done totally different now. And so it was like all these like little moving parts that were a little intimidating at first, but I'm really big into systems. And so it's like, if you show me a process, I will show you how to make it 10 times more efficient. So it was exciting for me to figure out all these new processes that we were going to have to put in place. And I was excited to roll out like my personality through Style Day F. And I really, I, like I, I'm from California and I mean, so are you. And so, you know, like California has like such a casual style and so does mm -hmm. Austin. But especially like that California beach style where you throw on a pair of jeans, a white v-neck and a long necklace. And I feel like that's like the vibe. And it's like you can make it look so good and classy with just a couple little tweaks. And that's what like, my whole goal is with Style Day F is to really help people find that inner confidence and 
make it easy. I want it to look like it took 10 times longer to get ready than it actually did. And so that's been like my idea when I'm sourcing new product and that sort of a thing. So figuring all that out, like what's my vibe going to be? What's my aesthetic going to be? What are my colors going to be? And you don't know how to do this. I had no clue whatsoever, but you just kind of figure like, you just go start rolling with it. Like, okay, let me think of the name. Then I got to design a logo. You know, you just, as a human being, I think somebody could figure this out. And, You'd be surprised um, though. It, a lot of people really? don't. Yeah. You know, I'm constantly reminding myself to like really take things to, you know, to the lower level because a lot of people don't know where to start. And I don't get that point either. Cause I'm like, okay, I can start a business tomorrow. I know exactly what to do, but mm-hmm. a lot of people don't. And so it's like, do I create an Instagram? Do I get the logo? Do I pay for that? Do I just do it all myself? There's just so many options and people, you can't just go somewhere and get all the answers. So let me tell you <laughs> the things that I have Googled, let you know, like even when it comes to like website or like even figuring out where to get a logo, I, you know, went on Fiverr or Fiverr, whatever it's called. And that's where I had them design it. I mean, all these things are on Google. Um, I think people trip themselves up sometimes because they're like, is it the right answer? If it's not the right answer, you're going to learn something. So it's always going to be the right answer. Um, yeah, but it was just a lot of moving parts in the very beginning and it's still moving parts. So a year later, it's still moving parts. Yeah. What's your biggest difference between doing the MLM versus do having your own? Um, I don't have the security of a monthly bonus check every month. And that's been a big, I was like, oh, this will be fine. I'll be fine without it. That's been a big change. Just ha- like knowing that's coming and it's not. Um, but trying to source clothes from multiple vendors, you think would be fun shopping all day. <laughs> it gets very tiring um, and exhausting. And you're like, I don't even know what I like anymore. You're like on these websites or you're going to market and you're like, like you get a sore at market because you're going through the racks with one arm so fast. Like, I like this. I like this. I, you know, sourcing is like, it's exhausting. It's, it's exhausting for sure. Yeah. What is like a day in the life of owning your boutique look like? So I really try to have some structure. So with COVID, I have two assistants right now. One is not working. She's my in-home assistant where she comes here every day and does shipping and receiving and all of that. And because of COVID, she's not coming. And then I have a virtual assistant. So with the girl that's not here, I have had to like really restructure my life. So the first thing I do when I get up is shipping. I want to make sure I'm crazy about shipping. Like I want stuff to get out here as fast as possible. In fact, like when I order something online and it does not ship right away, I'm like, what's happening? No, I'm big um, on that too. I but, think that's a huge customer service aspect. And I think that's the number one priority. And I think a lot of people miss out on that. Yeah. Totally. I'm always laughing. Like I ordered something from this comedian I follow and it took them two weeks to ship. Wow. Like just to get it out their door. I'm like, you're not that popular. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I also try to give myself a little grace sometimes when I'm like neurotic about shipping and I'm like, okay, you know what? This is not the number one priority right now. I can ship tomorrow. I have other stuff that needs that takes more priority. I try to give myself some grace knowing that not everybody else is as crazy about it as I am, but Um, but yeah, so I really try to get all my shipping done in the morning and then I plan for what we're going to sell that day. So if I have new items that came in, we will post, you know, some sneak peeks to our Facebook community. We'll post some stuff on Instagram stories. And again, my virtual assistant helps me out with that so, so much. She's also like a whiz when it comes to like graphics and Instagram and making stuff cute. So she does a lot of that for me. 
Um, so she and I will like in the morning, I'll be like, okay, today we're doing this, this, and this, or I'll have like a new idea for how we're going to sell. So I was like, let's do themes, you know, this week on Facebook, stuff like that. So we'll kind of like collaborate on that. Um, and then whatever life throws us. So I was, you know, I moved my entire website onto another platform recently. What did you go to? So I have an app through, um, through a company called Comment Sold. And my app helps me with my live streaming on Facebook. And they do have an online web store. And I was on Shopify. And it was just like a lot to manage back and forth between the app and Shopify. So I moved off Shopify onto their online platform. Um, But we actually, we got it all set up in like one day. So it wasn't too bad. It was like the entire thing we did on Friday. But it really is just like, we want to make sure we're selling every day, whether that's through app pushes, through Facebook Live, through Facebook posts in our group. We're all like, we're selling all day. Even when like things are hard, like I had surgery a couple weeks ago and I was seriously still like, post some, let's post, 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 right? I need to make it money. I need to make income. And it's like, we're hustling. I'm literally like in the hospital taking selfies, posting <laughs> them to build that community. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I mean, it's constant. But every day it's like, okay, how are we selling today? What are we selling? So, and then also with my in-home assistant not being here, like if, like I have a bunch of boxes to open for new inventory. So I've got to open those, go through them, make sure everything's here, weigh them, put them in the system, get them organized in the shop. Yeah. I've been to your house when I spray tanned you and you have your own fulfillment center in your front room full on. I was like, and there was when I think it was, it was before COVID. And there was people moving around. It was a full-on business downstairs. Yeah, it's, I mean, I have a pretty big house for myself. And that was the whole point of buying this house was, you know, why pay for a warehouse space when I have 2,400, 2,500 square feet of just for just me. So yeah, the downstairs, the front room is like a warehouse. And then I've slowly started to take over the big loft I have upstairs um, with like some era just for like recording videos and stuff. So it's slowly creeping upstairs, which is kind of what I want anyway. Um, but yeah, we keep it like super separate. It doesn't feel like it's imposing on my life at all. Like my living room's not taken over at all. And that's like part of the reason this house, like the layout, like right when you walk in has like a den off to the side and that's where everything is. And you can't like, I have parties here all the time and no one feels like, oh, Danielle's business is creeping in on our party. Um, but yeah, so I just like, you know, everything I can do to like get the inventory in shipped out and then organize what we're selling that day. It's been overwhelming actually with COVID. Yeah. How has that affected you? Yeah. So it's been interesting with um, my in-home assistant being gone. It it actually like her not being here has helped me give myself a little bit more structure because I'm like, okay, normally she would come in and do shipping and I'd be like, you know, or running errands and stuff. So it's helped give me some more. So you're doing all the shipping now all the shipping. Yeah, everything. And, um, and then with my virtual assistant, like I said, she like will post my Instagram stories for me. She will post graphics. She'll post stuff to our Facebook group. And then still I have to have the energy to go live at night. And that's where the, really the challenges is, is like going live is exhausting. Cause I go live for like anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half, which doesn't sound like a long time, but you're talking the entire time nonstop and trying things on and, you know, keeping up the engagement and having conversations with people. And it's like mentally draining. So after getting everything ready for the day, then I still have to like put makeup on and go live. 
and that's like where the challenge has been. I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. So when did you know you needed an employee? I have had an, at least one assistant for the past. So I've been, I've had my own business for five years. I've had probably my own assistant for four and a half, at least one. It's like, this is the biggest thing I've learned is like the stuff that you don't want to do or things that are taking time away from you doing what you do best, you need to hire somebody. So like if you, like all my graphics, if you see them on my Instagram story, they are all designed by my virtual assistant. Like I'm not creative when it comes to that. Or if you go on my website, like all the images on there, she did. So it's like hire somebody that can do things better than you that you don't want to do. Um, and people who you can learn from, like, I'm like, oh my God, always learning from her um, about like how to make things prettier and more appealing and that sort of a thing. And I think just realizing like, it's taking me so much time to do shipping, for example, when really I could be mentally preparing for going live, even if it's like not necessarily taking the time away, it's like the energy as well. And so having, I knew right away, like having somebody to at least do shipping for me, it was going to be super, super important. And I've had that for like four and a half years. Like even when I first moved to Austin, it was like, that was the first thing I was like, I need to hire somebody right away. And so I've had somebody for a while. It's changed people, obviously. But. Yeah. How, how do you handle having employees? Like, what does that management look like? Are they, you always hire people that are pretty easy or? Yeah, I've actually, everyone that I've hired so far with the exception of one has been amazing. Um, and things like things have just changed throughout life, meaning like, you know, either I've moved or they've changed their life over and not, it hasn't been the right fit anymore. And then, um, the, when I first moved here, I had hired a girl and, and she just wasn't a good fit for me. And, you know, we're working one-on-one -on -one in my house. It has to be a good fit. Yeah. It's so, very personal. but, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, my dogs are here, everything, but I love it. Like, I, I mean, I, I think of it more as like a team than like I'm their boss. In fact, my girl that works here normally, she's always like refers to me as her boss. And I'm like, that's so weird because I feel like we're just a team and we're all in this together. And, um, I love it. Like I love like my virtual assistant, she is in California and she like immediately clicked with my girl here and it's been like seamless. And these girls can like read my mind or I'll send like an incoherent voice memo and they've picked it out and like figured out what I need done. It's just seamless. And so I think it can take some time to kind of find your rhythm with people, but I love having a team. It's great. Cause then you also can be like, Oh, this is frustrating today. And you're not in it all on your own, you know? Yeah, for sure. What are some of the biggest hurdles that you've had? Girl, <laughs> every day is a hurdle <laughs> that I think that's the thing you really have to accept as a business owner is like, it's never going to be a hundred percent smooth sailing. And that's, I think when I first switched over from that MLM to styled AF, it was the first month was insane. It was great. And then I really had to eat some humble pie because I thought, Oh, I'm just going to like skyrocket now. And I didn't. And in like January, I was really struggling with like maintaining motivation and confidence just because I was like, this is hard. And I've had obstacles, not necessarily with the business, 
but I got really, really sick in October and like could not get out of bed. And I've always like thought people were crazy when they say they can't work in bed. I'm like, just get up. You can do it. I literally could not get out of bed. And that set me back. And then I got thrown in Facebook jail, which is like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, where you're basically blocked from posting on Facebook. Why did that happen? They don't tell you why. Who knows? It's just, it it periodically happens to people. Wow. And so like that, I was like blocked on Facebook for like a month and that's like my lifeblood, you know? Then, um, then in January, I hired this marketing company to help me with ads. And that started in like February, March. That did not work. That cost me a ton of money. And then, you know, like little things like. What happened with the marketing company? them to run ads for me and they were expensive but they had shown that they had success with other people in the same arena meaning you really wanted somebody I really wanted somebody that was an expert in Facebook lives because that's my bread and butter and I needed someone to help me run ads with my Facebook lives and after a month in I was like okay this isn't really working and I was like I'll give it one more month and at the end of that second month I was like I'm bleeding money this isn't working and no one could figure out why. And so I just canceled that contract with them. Um, and then looking back, I think it was, you know, you, I signed up with this marketing company without any idea of some of the systems I had in place that maybe weren't working. Like I didn't have enough inventory to show all the time or stuff like that. So um, it just didn't work. And, you know, lesson learned, like I said, it did cost a lot of money, but it's like, so did college. And I'm not really even using that degree. You You live and you learn. Yeah. Yeah. You live and you learn. And it's like, okay, that was an expensive lesson, but it was a lesson I clearly needed to learn. That's kind of like how I mentioned before, I just have this positive outlook is I always think you're always right where you're supposed to be. Even when you're having like the worst day and you think you're failing, it's like, okay, I'm here in this spot for a reason. I'm in this mental space for a reason. What is it teaching me? Or even if you're having the opposite, like such an amazing day, it's like, what is that teaching me? What is that? Why am I in this spot today? And so I always think you're always right where you're supposed to be. And that's kind of like, I got out of that marketing company and I was like, okay, let me teach myself Facebook ads. So I spent like two months in COVID, which was really helpful actually, because there was no like going out and doing things. And so I really spent that time learning Facebook ads as much as I can. And I still am like trying to learn. That's been expensive too, because you're basically throwing spaghetti at the wall, hoping it sticks as you teach yourself how to use Facebook ads and teaching yourself how to have a strategy behind Facebook ads. But again, it's like, this is, I feel like I'm in college again, spending this money to learn. And um, yeah. And then I've had, you know, I was dating somebody for a little bit right after COVID and that looking back, like really sucked me in and took me out of the headspace I needed to be to be productive with my business. And that kind of set me back a little bit. And so, but again, it's like, I had to go through that with him to figure some stuff out with relationships. So it's like, you just always had to keep reminding yourself, like you're always right where you're supposed to be. Like, what is this teaching me? How am I growing? And even when it's like so uncomfortable, it's like, okay, I'm here for a reason. Yeah. Um, so just briefly, why did you move to Austin? So, so I've been here a little, like just about over two years and I had never been here before moving here. Um, I was visiting a friend in Dallas a couple years ago and saw that it was just so much cheaper 
And I had a dream of buying a house and I, there was no way it was going to happen in California. So I was like, well, I guess I should move. And I, I had always said, I'm never going to leave California. In fact, I saw an Instagram post from a couple years ago where it said like, I'm such a California girl. I'll never leave. <laughs> I was laughing to myself. <laughs> um, and I had always heard that like Austin was really a fun city. And so I thought, well, I don't want to move to Dallas. I'll move to Austin. So I packed up everything and moved out here. It was really just like, I, I felt like I needed new opportunities. And um, it's been one of the best things I've done for myself is move out here. It's been, I've built an amazing community of friends. I bought a house within a year, which was like such an amazing dream. And it's just been a really good move all around. It was like just so random too. Cause my mom was like, uh, Austin of all places. I'm like, seems like a good fit. I'll go try it. The worst. And that's my thing too. I'm always like such a risk taker. Like what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Yeah. You, you move back. I'm, like that's what I used to back. myself. Yeah. Yeah. You move back. Okay. You, you might be out a ton of money because it costs a lot of money to move halfway across the country, but okay. There are worse things in life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then what is one thing you would wish you'd known when you started your career? Like if you could tell someone just starting out or just even looking back and telling yourself. If I could tell any business owner who's starting out, anyone in, M in an MLM, anyone is to read profit first and apply that method for managing your business money from day one. If you've never read that book, I get no kickbacks. That book has been, I didn't even discover it until a couple months ago. And I'm kicking myself. If I could go back in time and apply what that, book teaches you to do with your money, I would be in a different position today. What is this book called again? It's called Profit First. Mm -hmm. It is a game changer when it comes to managing your money for your business. That's a really game good thing to talk about changer. because I am the worst. I don't want to know my finances. I don't want to look. I just want to know that it's oh. going up, you know? I'll check every couple I'm of days. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. But here's the thing is like this forces you to get real and understand your economics of your business in a way that empowers you it, that I was almost in tears. I was listening to the book and I was like, Oh my God. Like it's, when he, he describes where he was before he came up with this method. And I was like, I've been there where you feel like you don't know where your money is coming or going. And now you have the power back in your hand to make sure that you're profitable and to make sure that you have money for taxes and, it really forces you just to get real with your expenses as well. And that's kind of been interesting with me too, where I'm like, you think you just need to spend, spend, spend. I'm like, no, let's figure out how we can cut back, cut back, cut back. That's going to make us more profitable. Um, so yeah, if I could tell anyone starting a business, whatever the business is, if you're a service provider, if you're a coach, if you're an MLM, if you have a boutique, whatever, profit first. I'm definitely going to check that out. I think that's a really great resource. Um, yes. So let's see, what else? What is your five-year goal? Like, do you want a brick and mortar? Where do you see yourself going? Yeah, I definitely don't want a brick and mortar. Um, <laughs> don't do it. No, I, yeah, I don't want a brick and mortar. It's like, you just never know. Um, and yeah, no. I love being online. I love doing Facebook Lives. Five years, I, I've, I've never been one to plan out five years. I would say like within the next six months, I would like to double my sales. And, um, 
again, I'm like learning how to be more productive and how to be more efficient and how to get out of my own way. That's the biggest thing. But yeah, I think just by the end of this year, I want to double my sales. That's my number one goal. Five years from now, who knows? I'll be almost 40. Who knows? By then, hopefully I'll meet somebody by then. (laughs) Is that a priority, getting into a relationship and just kind of like settling down? So it has been over the past couple of years. And I've really tried to like force some things that didn't work out. And this past month or so after I stopped dating that guy during COVID, I was like, I need a break. This is imposing my ability to think clearly with my business. And that needs to be my priority for a while. And dating in your thirties in 2020 is wild. Well, during a pandemic on top of that. Yeah. And it's just like, it's been, it was a really draining experience recently. And so I was like, I need a break. I can't do this anymore. And I've really that's been part of my issue is I've really prioritized dating over my business in the past couple of years. And I was like, I need to cut that out for a little bit. So yeah, no dating the rest of the year. And then <laughs> we'll see. That's when we'll you're going to find someone, you know that, right? That's what, you know, what's so funny is I told my friends this a couple weeks ago and that week I've never been asked out on so many dates that week. I had six guys ask me out. I'm like, they're like coming from Instagram, Facebook, old people I've met at bars like months and months and months ago I'm like what the hell is going on I'm like this is crazy but yeah it's like I think it's it's hard for me to take myself out of that because I love dating I love being in that scene I love meeting new people I love learning about relationships but I'm like I have to be like so focused on my business if I want to hit these goals so then maybe after that we'll see yeah did you see um your sales go up at all during COVID since your business is all online or did it just kind of like stay the same? It stayed the same, but I think if I really would have prioritized it a little bit more versus that relationship, then I think I would have had a different outcome. Um, and so learning, and I think again, you're always where you're supposed to be. That was me learning. Okay, Danielle, you put too much focus on these relationships. Sometimes let's focus over here because this is the issue. And I put so much focus on those relationships, it's not reciprocated. And so then I'm losing double, right? So that was my big lesson of COVID. Yeah, well, I feel like you have the perfect business for the new, I guess the new world we're going into. Everyone's kind of switching to what you're doing. Yeah, everyone's going online. Yeah, Yeah, like I am switching from, you know, doing a spray tan service to trying to sell tanning mousse because people are still scared. I yeah, legitimately still scared. And I forget that because I have a different perspective on it, but you know, it's doesn't matter what my perspective is. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's so true. People are still worried and that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. Um, what are some of the best like apps, resources, software you use? Like what are your few go-tos? You said you love systems. Do you have any that you just ride or die? Um, we love Canva for creating graphics. I think if you are, I mean, Canva just keeps getting better and better. Um, You can do animated graphics on there now, which is awesome. We love preview app for Instagram. And I use Slack with both my girls. That's been awesome. That way we're not bogging down like a text thread. So Slack has been great um, for us to communicate. Um, Those are probably the ones we use the most. Canva, 
preview Slack. Yeah. And then who is it that you kind of look up to? Who is your role model or someone you want to be like? Anything like that? Um, that's a really good question. I never really thought about that. Um, I definitely have like other boutique owners that I kind of go to for mentoring, which is nice. They're just people I've known through throughout the years who, again, they also view community over competition. So it's nice where I can ask them some questions and that sort of a thing. And I kind of like made them my unofficial mentors. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know if I have like a role model or anything. I just really just try to be a good person. And I think I'm always inspired by people who kind of live that mantra. Um, lately, I've really been inspired by Alexandria, however you say her last name, from the House of Representatives in New York City, AOC. She's yeah. a little powerhouse. I'm obsessed with her. Um, yeah, I actually just read an article about her skincare routine and I was just like obsessed. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got that. She always same looks so article. flawless. I know. And I just love her. Like I saw her video um, addressing Congress about how she was treated by that guy, that other member of Congress. And so it was just awesome to see like these women powerhouses kind of taking over and making their voices heard. That's I'm big. I think she's going to run for president one day. So she's definitely someone to watch. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I've been really inspired by her lately. And she's really, you know, I saw that she has a boyfriend and I was like, oh my gosh, she has a boyfriend and she's such a badass. I think I've held myself back sometimes with my business thinking I don't want to be intimidating to men. And it's like, wait. No, you need to find the right one there. Like my boyfriend, he deals with all my crazy stuff and he's like my number one supporter. There's guys out there, I promise, who will respect it and be okay with taking the back seat. Like they don't need to be the masculine one. Yeah. It's been, that was like eye-opening. When I saw that she had a boyfriend, I was like, wait, she's really intimidating. And Yeah, I'm scared of her. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm like, wait, I've been holding myself back, I think subconsciously, because I don't want to be even more intimidating. But it's like, wait a second, hold on. I'm going to push myself even harder. You watch out. Yeah, I don't find you intimidating at all. I think, you know, you are a powerhouse and, you know, you will find the right guy that will respect that. And if you haven't found the right one, you know, you just haven't found the right guy yet, but they're out there. Well, next year. (laughs) Next year, yes. Stay away this year. Yeah. (laughs) And then where can our listeners connect with you online? Yes. So if you search Styled AF on any platform, I'll come up. And so you can follow me there. It is at by Daniela Amelia on Instagram. But if you, like I said, if you search Styled AF, I come up. Same thing if you search Styled AF on Facebook or styledaf.com, it'll come up. And then I also created a um, promo code for your friends. They can use yeah. on my website, code GIRLBOSS, and I'll get 15% off. Awesome. 15% off using GIRLBOSS on styledaf.com? Yes. Perfect. And then did you have any questions for me? Anything you want to ask? How is it going with your podcast? Are you loving every second of it? That's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. So it's been a journey. It's like learning a new skill. When I started this, I didn't realize I need to I didn't even know what direction I really wanted to go. I made the first episode and then I was like, okay, where do I want to go from there? Mm-hmm. And it kind of just evolved into interviews and a lot of people reaching out wanting to share their story. Cause that's the whole goal of social media as business owners, like get to know me. Like that's the whole entire point. So giving people a platform to really do that in an hour is, you know, a game changer. Like that's all we want is someone to listen right. and hear our story. So exactly. And I'm learning like I learned so much from you. I love that you do Facebook's, you know, sales. That's something I don't do. And that's something, you know, the Facebook group, like something I should think about. 
So just, you know, I'm learning and trying to become a better interviewer and a better speaker. Like my first one, I feel like this one's way better because I'm flowing. So it's just a journey. And I feel like it's just kind of evolving into like whatever it's going to be. <laughs> That's no- so awesome. I'm so proud of you. Because I think when you and I first met, you were even saying how you were nervous to go on camera. And here you are yeah. like, having a podcast now. And I see you on I'm still nervous Instagram, to go on, on camera. camera. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so nerve wracking. You'll get used to it. Well, it's oh like, do gosh. I look good? Oh, I gained five pounds. Like, we'll wait till I lose the weight and then get back on, you know, quarantine. It's just, you're not doing your hair. It's just so many things that go through our head before we get on camera. But it's like Girl, the followers don't care. I know. No exactly. one cares. Yeah. And no one yeah. cares. And then I look back exactly. and I'm like, oh, wow, I, I didn't even look that bad. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just excited for that. But um, anything else you want to leave the audience with? Any great tips, stories, anything that you might have? Yeah, I just, again, want to remind people, like, whatever business owner or stage of life or whatever, you're always right where you're supposed to be. That's, like, probably my number one lesson I've learned over the past 15 years. And if I can impose that to everybody I know who's having a hard time or having the best time, you're always right where you're supposed to be for a reason. Yeah, I really like that. And something that I need to get better at. And I think the audience can take away too. And it's okay to go slow, fast, you know, during quarantine, you don't have to start a business. Like, you know, you don't have to be losing weight. You can just be. Yeah, exactly. You can just be. That's probably Um, harder for people than, than going, 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 just being. Oh, a hundred percent. I've had to really like find things to do with myself really spend time with my son and my boyfriend. It's a lot, a lot of quality time. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, And then a local shout out. Favorite place to eat in Austin? My favorite place to eat in Austin. Oh, that's hard. I don't love the food here, to be quite honest. Really? You're the first person to say that. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. A lot of those. I've seen you're interviewing people who have, like, grew up in Austin or, like, you know. um, People have a hard time hearing that. I think overall food. I know. They'd be, like, offense. Take offense to that. (laughs) It's, like, a three out of a ten compared to California. But. There are some quality places I do love. Um, I love Lazarus. They have some bomb tacos. I would say Lazarus and they have good beer. I'll write that down. That's a good one. I'll check that out. And then favorite place to shop. I only shop with myself at my boutique. (laughs) That's interesting. So do you only wear your clothes? Yeah, I do. Wow. And then give a girl, a beauty girl, a shout out. Someone who does your hair, whatever. Oh, my hairstylist. Yes. She is Nancy at Shag Salon. She's the best. Um, She has such a great energy and I have the world's straightest hair. So you can see every flaw if somebody makes a mistake and she's the best hairdresser I've ever had. Wow. And what's her Instagram? Her Instagram is Nancy Melendez underscore. Okay. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I feel like you gave such great information, especially about MLM. I didn't even know we'd get into that today. And I just think that's, so fun. yeah, the, the, one of the biggest topics of this year, to be honest, because I see it, we all see it all over our feed. Everyone, you know, someone in our family is selling something on an MLM. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. If not starting their own business now. Exactly. Well, thank you again. And yeah, just thank you. I think you were awesome. Thanks for and having me. And I'm excited. Me. Yeah, I'm excited to see what else you do this year and all that. Thank you. I can't wait to listen. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Bye. Bye.
So that was our second guest, Danielle. I hope you really enjoyed it and got some awesome takeaways and just learned something that you can apply to your life today. Um, I have another interview every Sunday and I'm super excited for our next guest. And if you enjoyed this, just please subscribe and leave me a review and follow us on Instagram at Don't Call Me Girl Boss. And thank you again for listening. Oh, 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 oh,